All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we're going to be in Exodus 23 and 24, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Exodus 23 and 24. Today after the service at 3 o'clock, if you want to come back, we're going to be having a meeting about Breaking Chains, the music festival we're having out here April 22nd. Um, just some ways that you can volunteer to help, uh, support, and then just some prayer, obviously, that things go like God wants them to. Um, next Saturday, what time at Applebee's? 8 to 10 o'clock, you can have all the pancakes you can eat. And you know, I was thinking, they don't need a ticket. They can buy them at the door, couldn't they, if they just showed up? Uh, we can have somebody outside. Okay. Okay. Well, I was just thinking, we've got tickets for that, and it's a fundraiser for, for this. Um, um, we'll be bussing tables, um, and you can be bussing tables too if you wanted to. Um, but then also you can have all the pink. So if you're... If you're planning on breaking your New Year's resolution next Saturday, 8 a.m., all the pancakes you can eat. So um, we're going to be doing that. So that's if you can't make it today at 3, that's one of the things that's coming up. And, and of course, there's some others. And they have, they have some, a, a, the table back there has got some jars on it, and you just put some money in and grab your ticket or whatever you want to do, and, and, uh, and uh, that's how that will work. So uh, anyway, today at 3 o'clock, join us for that. Uh, that's it, I guess. We need to get into, we've got a communion afterwards too, so I've got to rush through. I've got to, not rush, I've got to take my time quickly <laughs> through these two chapters. So, okay, we're in the law. Uh, God is uh, continuing to give Moses the law to give not only to the people so they have something written, but also for the judges as a guideline as to how they're supposed to judge these matters. Remember, Moses was making everybody wait in line all day long uh, to deal with all their problems. You know, Bob's tent stakes are over in Fred's yard and stuff like that. And so his father-in-law said, you know, you, you can't do all this and it's not good for them either. You need to delegate. And so you've got thousands, hundreds, and fifties judges who would take care of the small matters. And if you get something big, you know, then if you get something giant, then you can take it to Moses or whatever. He'd, he'd handle the big stuff, Supreme Court kind of stuff. Um, and so they've done this, but they need some guidelines because there's that'd be for a million plus people. That's a lot of that's a lot of judges, you know, and we don't want everybody just making it up as they go along. So God is giving it to them, showing them how they should judge, writing it down. Unfortunately, because it's not naturally coming out of their hearts, the right thing to do isn't naturally coming out of their hearts, and so He's got to write these things down. That's why they're having problems. People, people are messy. We're messy people. We we get in each other's way. We step on each other's toes. That's what we do. We're good at it, you know. And then Jesus comes in and, and does his best to bring peace between us, but really Christ came to do one thing, and that's to bring peace between God and man. Um, it's great if we can have peace together too, but it's really meant as we're in obedience to Christ, though, because he brought peace between God and man, we will have peace with one another. So you take care of this, and this takes care of itself is the idea. And so, so here we are. He's, he's laying these things out for them. He begins off in, in verse 1 with justice. He wants equal justice for everybody. He can't be, you, know, you can't be giving it because the poor guy's poor. You know, it doesn't make any difference. Right is right. And so he writes all these things down. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So a lot of things there. Um, the first one is don't circulate a false report. And I would say don't circulate a report, period. 
you know, a false report's bad enough, and you'll notice this as we go through this, a lot of these things would apply to Jesus's uh, uh, court case, basically, and how they thought he was breaking the law when actually the court itself was breaking this law here as having false witnesses come forward and, and so on, just to, just to justify their wickedness. But this circulating a false report is a dangerous thing. Circulate is different than actually in court. You know, in court, you testify, and that's what you're supposed to do before the judge. Circulate is to maybe, uh, what do they say, they mess up the, the, uh, the witness, or not the witness pool, the, the jury pool. You know, you can tamper with the jury just by putting things out in the news and things like circulating things ahead of time before they've had a chance to pick the jury, <clears throat> and it taints their view. It gets them mixed up. It gets them messed up. You've got to be careful about that. Don't circulate a false report. Um, Proverbs has a lot to say about this. It says specifically in a court case, Proverbs eighteen seventeen, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. In other words, there's two sides to the story. You may have gotten one side and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm, I can see that happening. I can see where you're coming from, Fred. Well, wait till Bob comes along, you know, and see what Bob has to say about this. You get, give, let him give an answer for it is the idea. So be careful. You know, there's two sides to this. First of all, don't circulate it. That means don't let it come out of your mouth. The second thing is, on the other hand, don't be the open ear that they can whisper into. You know, it's two sides. If, if there's no one to, like the drug trade, if there wasn't anybody doing drugs, you wouldn't have any market for them. You wouldn't have any, or you wouldn't have any suppliers for the drugs is the idea. So both are accountable. Don't want to be dealing them, that's for sure. But you also don't want to be taking them, okay? Same with this kind of stuff, circulating a false report. We've lost something in our society, I think. And it's, it's just getting smaller and smaller. Discretion is becoming less and less. And uh, just keeping things to yourself and, and working things out. Everybody's got everybody's to talk about it. Everybody's got to let everybody know about the stuff. And um, I think it's a dangerous thing. Uh, Proverbs 2, verse 11 says, Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. There's a protection there to have discretion with the things going on. Bring it to God, definitely, in prayer. Um, tell it to your husband. Tell it to your spouse you know, or your, your wife. But discretion, you know, be careful about circulating um, things. Um, and another thing we're missing, I think, in, in some ways is, is uh, well, not discretion, but also... Uh, Oh, I slipped my mind. It's there. Hold on. Dignity. Thank you. You were here for the yeah, okay. first service guy. Uh, dignity. Dignity. Um, you know, it's not pride. It's dignity. I think we miss that sometimes, to have that dignity in our hearts and, to, uh, and discretion. Both are very important. Now, there's a funny verse that I love, these one-liners. Aaron's got a bunch of yellow post-its or did at one time dumb one-liners that I've said in the past, kind of embarrassing one-liners that he thinks he needs to erase from the CD later on before we put it up on the website because my mouth gets ahead of my brain. This is one of those that God wrote, so I think it's hilarious. It says this about this discretion. As a ring, a gold ring, in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. That's hilarious to me. I love it. Um, it doesn't say a man, so women, I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anybody, anybody that lacks discretion is like a pig with a big gold ring in their nose, you know, is the idea behind it. God's just making a point. Whoever wrote that, one of the, whoever wrote the pro, that proverb specifically is just like, look, you know, it's ugly. It makes you look ugly when you don't have discretion. Be careful about that. And so don't circulate a false report. Um, I, 
I'm so glad I have the wife that I have because I don't have discretion. I learn it from her, you know. Um, I'm just terrible about that. And it's, it's, it's wrong, you know, it's just bad. Um, so anyway, what a great example for me. Um, I don't follow it, but she's a great example for me. <laughs> do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Okay, you don't want to do that. I don't want to re- go over everything. You don't want to get people on your side just because you want it you know, to go your way kind of thing. Look, just let, it, let things land where they land. That's important. Um, don't show partiality just because they're poor. We don't want to just... And that's sad. You have to dress up to go to court because you don't want the judge to think you're, you know, uh, a slug. Um, otherwise, he's going to rule against you. It shouldn't be like that. It really is supposed to be blind justice. People are people. And, um, it's hard not to pass judgment on someone, but you really got to let the facts play out and let the facts speak for themselves. All right, verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, which happens to me all the time, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would re- re- refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Um, not a lot of donkeys and oxes, but the idea is if somebody needs help, you know, if you see your enemy on the side of the road with a flat tire, let's bring it, you know, to 2017, stop and help them, you know, kind of thing. Don't just sit and go, <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. You want to stop and you want to pull over and say, you know, can I help you with that? And, You'd be surprised how that breaks the ice, yeah. you know. The humility it takes to receive the help. Oh, here he, I knew he was going to pull over. Yeah, here he comes, you know. I got it, I got it, I got it. No, you don't have it, you know. And then the humility of receiving it, but also the humility of offering it. And all of a sudden you're laughing, saying this could have happened to me. And it just, it's a, God will do those things in our lives just to kind of punch through that ice, you know. It's a good thing. God knows what he's doing. So help out the poor donkey. And besides that, even if you hate him, the poor donkey's under the weight of this stuff. You know, for the donkey's sake, help it out. Help this thing out, you know. Undo that heavy burden. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. That's the second time he said that. First time, it was in last chapter, um, uh, 21 and 22. You shall, not, you shall neither mistreat a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. He's just building it up. Look, just because they're different than you, different nationality, different color, you can just, you, they're not Jewish. You can tell that right away. Don't treat them differently. Don't oppress them just because they're from another. Now, remember, we also have 18 and 19, okay, uh, and 20 that they had to obey. So these strangers, all those strangers, although from another nation, did have to fall under the authority and rule of law of the nation of Israel first. And then they weren't supposed to be oppressed. Okay, so that's, that's kind of both sides. Um, you're not oppressing someone if they're breaking the law. They're just breaking the law and they need to go to jail. There's nothing oppressive about that. They made a bad choice. Um, but don't oppress them just because they're a different nationality, just because they're different Okay, that's, that's the idea. Six years you shall sow your uh, land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do uh, with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, on the seventh uh, day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Uh, and in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and have no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Okay, 
So the Sabbaths here, a couple of them here. First of all, we've got to let the land rest for a year. So pretty good ratio, six to one. You can harvest and plant for six years. The seventh year, leave it alone. Let it be. You know, let it grow up. Let it, let it seed. And that was in when, the, you know, when seeds were seeds back then, and they would actually reproduce. It wasn't just a, uh, well, that's a volunteer plant we call those today. No, no, they're actually like real seeds that were going to produce if they fell off. And just let it kind of grow. The poor can come through. It's, their, it's like their harvest, kind of. And you get, a, you get some time off. Now, I don't know if they, they probably didn't, like if they had, you know, 10 or 7, uh, to make it easy on me. They had 7 acres, you know, a big farmer. Um, 7 acres. You'd probably let this one rest and then let this one rest. And, you know, and every, every year you'd have one acre out of rotation is the idea. So you always had something coming in. Nation of Israel didn't do that. They didn't listen to this law. And for 490 years, that's a long time, they never let the land rest. And it was getting depleted, never getting its chance to rejuvenate itself, you know. Um, and so God took them, the people doing this to the land, into captivity, into Babylon for 70 years to make up and let that land rest is the idea. That was what sent them there besides their disobedience in lots of other areas. This was what he used as his reasoning behind it. Okay. Most of you don't plant crops like that. So like eyes are glazed over. I can see that from up here. I understand. Look, this is a Sabbath. He likens it to our kind of Sabbath also as people, our day off. You know, I'm not a Sabbath guy. I'm not a guy that's like, did you take a day off this week? And I check up on you, that kind of thing. No, it's between you and the Lord. But the idea is, and I love this, he wants, he wants you to be fallow for a day. Let, the, let it just go. I don't got to shave. Let that beard grow up, you know. I can just sit there and grow mold while I lay here on the couch. You can just sit there. Cheetos on my stomach, you know. Just relax and rest for a day, you know. And here's why. It it is hard. It is hard to relax when everybody else in the house isn't relaxing. Or it's hard for your family to relax when you're out doing that stuff, running around, you know. You feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. I am fallow today. I am fallow, you know. And you should say that. But you see him running around doing all this stuff. I don't care. I'm fallow. But it makes you feel funny inside. And he even says that. Look, you may not need a break, but your donkey does. You know, I don't know. Tractors don't need brakes anymore, you know. but, But a donkey does, you know. And your kids do. And your kids need you to, I noticed something in my house, and I, I learned this, guys learn this, this is a good thing. Um, if I sit at the dining room table or something, I'm just talking with my wife while she's doing all the work of the house, I'm kidding. But if I'm sitting there long enough and I'm talking to her and I'm not running around trying to match her, you know, doing stuff, and I get home from where I sit there and talk long enough, is she listening, is she out there? She'll come sit on my lap. She'll sit there and she'll look at me. But I've got to sit there for like 15, 10, 15 minutes before she'll come over and she'll sit on my lap and she'll put her arm around me and she'll look at me, you know. I like it when she looks at me like that, you know. And you're just sitting there and she's just looking and I got my arm around her waist and she's just looking at me and we're just talking like we were, you know. But it's different. It's almost like she needs the, and I won't say she needs permission, but you know how you kind of do need permission to sit and relax? And if you sit there, sitting there relaxing, maybe I could join him and sit and relax. Guys, we need to do that for one another, you know? As families, even if you're single, sit and, I don't think the single guys probably have a problem with sitting and relaxing, but sit and relax and have a day, you know? 
just have a day of, of this. Um, being fallow, I think it's a good thing. Um, and you need to set the example for those around you. And they, and they need, your kids need a break. The kids need to see you taking a break. It's relaxing, you know, kind of thing. And guys, I know the struggle with that. There's always something to do. And gals, I know the struggle. There's always something to do. There is always something to do. And there always will be. I mean, until the day you die, there will always be an unfolded bunch of clothes, you know. There will always be a garage that needs to be cleaned out because you cleaned it yesterday and now it's back again. There's always, if you got to get away, go. Get in the car and drive to a park. Get away from where the mess is or where the work is and get someplace else and relax and have that day, you know. So important, so important. Okay. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect. In other words, remember, walk and live like there are consequences to your actions. That's what circumspect means. And make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Just don't. Verse 14, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you at the time uh, appointed in the month of Abib. For in it... You came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. I want that. And then also the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year, um, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. Now, we don't do that necessarily. We don't have the feast. We know that Jesus has fulfilled all the feasts, all the Sabbath. He's, we're complete in him. Um, and yet there's something about getting away three times a year. Um, and this is a soapbox thing. It makes no difference. It's not biblical, so you can throw it out or tune out or whatever. But I really think you need to have vacation time. You know, you really need that. Not just the day off. That's different. The Sabbath is once a week. You have that day off. But this is, this is a week-long getaway completely. And I know, easier said than done financially sometimes. It doesn't have to cost a lot. It really doesn't. I mean, Mazingo's a great, that's such a great asset to our community. That place is so great out there. Grab a tent, borrow a tent, and go sit out there. Grab some wood that fell off the tree and light a fire and cook a hot dog. I mean, that is one cheap week right there. And do nothing. And then walk down to the dock and skip rocks and, you know, Take that time, take that time, these feasts, and give God glory for it, is the idea. Give God glory that he led us out of captivity, out of Egypt, through his son Jesus Christ, who is that unleavened bread, which we're going to have communion here in a moment. We'll talk more about that. Feast of harvest, we know that he's my provider. You know, give him glory, give him glory. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. Um, This is a consuming of the flesh. I want that flesh consumed completely. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the storehouse of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I still don't know what that means and why. There is a reason behind it. It could be a health thing. You know, you don't want to blend those two things together. I don't know. I've never boiled meat in milk before anyway, so I don't worry about that. Um, And it really doesn't matter anymore. The dietary law and restrictions are over with, so... Um, we're okay there. You need to eat healthy, but it's not a law. Um, so I don't understand that necessarily. But I do understand the first fruits. I get that. I mean, the idea is that um, you're just honoring God. You understand where it came from, and you give him the first. Not the, not the last and the least, but you give him the first and the best. And I think that's important in anything that we do. All right, 20. Behold, I send an angel before you. That's capital A. This is the angel, messenger, remember. Not winged creature or created being necessarily. 
Um, this is Jesus in the Old Testament, okay? Behold, I send an angel, uh, the angel, before you to, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars." God is going to move them into the land. Jesus will go with Joshua. He stands beside him on the eve of them going into the promised land as the captain of the Lord of hosts, uh, sword in hand, okay? I will go before you, and your enemies will be my enemies. They're enemies for a reason. 400 years while the nation of Israel was in Egypt, God gave this land and these people and all these ites 400 years to repent. And they refused, and they refused, and they refused. And they're raising up kids and sending them to hell and raising up kids. They're making hell firewood is all they're doing. And God says, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm bringing in a new group of people. And they're going to obey me. Now they don't either. And they get evicted eventually too. The idea is he's, he's trying to keep it down, to tone it down. Because of our sin, he comes in and does these things. Um, and, and that's what his second coming is all about. You know, Jesus is full of grace. He is full of mercy. And we are in that time period right now. And we kind of get confused because we've never seen the lion side of Jesus. We've only seen the slain lamb. We forget what he looks like when he comes. What what he looks like here, then he comes as a servant, but he's coming back like this again as a lion to bring judgment. And we have to understand that. Jesus talked about hell more than any other subject. It was very, because that was his mission. Look, if, if you don't believe on me for salvation, if you don't trust in me, you're going to hell, and that's why I'm here, to pay the penalty for you. You need to believe on me. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to take your sins and put them on myself, and I'm going to die for you. He told them all about that before he did it, and I'm going to prove that it's going to work by rising from the dead three days later, and he did. That's the message. That's the gospel, and he told them repeatedly, you've got to believe on him whom he sent, and that's me, Jesus. I'm the only begotten son of the Father. No man comes to the Father except by him. No man, under no other name in heaven can man be saved other than Jesus Christ. I did this for you. And he is coming back. And so they're warned. Look, pay attention to him. Follow him. He'll be uh, an adversary to your adversaries. I like that. I trust in that. There comes that discretion again. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to make justice happen. I can let justice happen. I bring that up because it took 490 years before God steps in to bring justice for the land. That's dirt. I mean, it's just dirt. But he made it. It There was a disobedience for 490 years before God stepped in. I'm upset when God doesn't bring justice the next day or the next week or the next month. Where's my justice? You know, we're all about justice now. Boy, they're just stomping in the streets about justice. Look, everything that's ever been done wrong will be accounted for. There is something that's going to be paid for one way or another. Just because it hasn't happened in my time frame doesn't mean it's not going to happen, so I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about anybody getting away with anything. Nobody is. Every word that's ever been said or spoken will be be held accountable for it. And so he says, you know what? Be on my side. Follow me, and I'll be on your side is the idea. So, verse 25. 
So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. During first service, when I said that, a fly landed right on my nose and stayed there. And I was like this, it wouldn't move, and I had to, you know, care. But it was kind of funny with hornets and all, because they're both flying creatures. Okay, back to the text. (laughs) I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. I don't want to, I don't want to just you know, have a scorched earth thing and then have, have you not be able to hold it or conquer it or, or you know, uh, you know, occupy is the idea. Little by little we're going to go through this. When you first come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's a little bit of a shock and awe war between your flesh and the spirit, kind of knock some of those big dogs out right away. But the other sins, the other things in your life kind of incrementally go away because he doesn't want to just wipe it out. He wants to replace it. So I don't want you just not to hate. I want you to love also. So just being, you know, some drone that doesn't have any feelings isn't his, isn't his goal. I want to take away the hate, but I want you to, I want to replace it with God's love with my love. And so incrementally we conquer ground and he wants us to hold it. And this is a this is a military tactic it always has been. You don't want to just wipe everything out and create a void that can be filled in by anything else. You want to take ground, you want to conquer it, you want to hold it, you want to occupy it and you move on, you take the next step. That's the idea behind it. And God is going to do that for him. So don't be discouraged when I don't just everybody just run out of the land. It's going to be step by step. It's not going to happen in here. It's going to take time. So be patient with God. Let him, be, let him be alive in your life and working. And let him complete that work he's begun in you. And he will. He'll be faithful to complete it. But it just takes time. Sometimes we get disappointed with ourselves. Oh, I thought I had that whooped. You didn't surprise God. He wasn't like, I thought you had that whooped too. This surprised me. No, he, he, it happened. And he's like, okay, I just want you to know we're still working on this. You were telling everybody you got this down. I was just letting you know you don't got this down. You know, we're still working on this here. Certain, certain triggers can make this happen again. Oh, yeah. I wanted you to know what I already knew is the idea. And just submit and let him work and let him do that in, a, in us. Anyway, I will set your bounds, he says, verse 31, from the Red Sea to the sea. It's a big swath of land. Philistia and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before, out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. No covenant. Joshua makes a mistake. He didn't pray. Some guys came, dressed themselves up as if they'd traveled a long ways, they show up with tattered and you know, empty food bags, moldy bread and, and clothes, and we've come a long way. We just want to make a treaty with you. Well, okay, as long as you haven't come from the land we're conquering, fine. And they said, no, no, no. And they lied right to their face. No, we didn't come from there. Made a treaty with these people. Turns out they were just over the hill. The, the next ground they were going to conquer was them. And like, oh, okay, well, you tricked us this once, but we're going to make you wood bearers. You're going to be our slaves, our servants, because you tricked us. And are like, hey, at least we ain't dead. I mean, that was the idea. 
These people, though, brought in their gods and tricked them into believing, not tricked, I think they went headlong into it, began to serve and worship these other gods, and all of a sudden became like the people that they were supposed to separate themselves from and be different from. I say that because spiritually speaking, we're to make no covenant with the sins God is trying to remove from our lives. There's no room for it. There's no room for any of it. It's not a reducing. I'm cutting back on this sin. You know, hey, if God said get rid of it, I'm not saying he doesn't tell you to cut back on some stuff. There are some things that can be just cut back on, you know. But if it's something he's told you to eradicate from your life, I don't want anything, I don't want want to see this ever again in front of you. And you try to make room for just a little bit of that, it will be a snare to you. It will cause you to stumble. It will bring you back to where you were when you begged God to take it from you. So important. Don't make any covenants with your sin. Let it go. Let God drive it out from before you. Don't let that sit there. None of this is about his ego. None of this is about being submissive to God, although we are to be submissive to God. It's, it's for us, and it's for those around us. Just like the Sabbath, we need it, but sometimes we don't think we need it. Well, that's fine if you don't think you need it, but everybody else does. And it's the same with my sin. Well, that's fine if you think you can control and all that, but you know what? It's coming out sideways and it's hurting everybody else around you. So I want it gone for their sake, whether you think you need to get rid of it or not. That's a good thing. It's for us, not against us, okay? God is for us. All right, chapter 24. It's short. We'll go quick. Ready? And he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship, me, or, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. And it still isn't safe for them to enter into that closeness with the Lord. Remember, the, the mountain's on fire, okay, basically. And they could only come to the foot of the mountain. Now he's letting them come up a little bit further, but not all the way into the fire, okay? That's where they're at. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, yeah, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. And you know what? We mean that when we try to say that, don't we? Oh, wasn't that a great method? I'm so inspired. You know, we're getting rid of cable right when we get home. Honey, you're going to snip it, wrap it up and throw it at the pole. We're going to get rid of the Internet. We're going to you, know, you get all excited. about. It. Then you come home and, oh, you know, after the Super Bowl, we'll do that. Right after the Super Bowl. I'm not, it, I'm, it, no, I'm not saying necessarily. I'm just saying we have a tendency to do that. Yes. And then we get home. We're like, eh, you know, um, that's kind of what they're saying here. Yes, we're going to do it all. Of course, they're terrified. The whole mountain's on fire. Yeah. I mean, yes. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, the 12 pillars and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. That's a little redundant. I don't know why they added that clause, but they did. You're going to do it and be obedient. All right. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. They made a covenant with God. It's a promise. You do that and we'll do this. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, which is what they're under now, you do this and I'll do this. 
we're about to have communion here today after this, and that's the new covenant. The new covenant is this. God says, I'll do this, and then he says also, I'll do this. He answers both sides of the contract. Not only will I forgive you of your sins, I'll also make the penalty and pay the penalty for your sins that you're not obligated to. I'm going to do both sides of it. He tried the you sign here on the dotted line contract in the Old Testament, and it doesn't work because we don't keep our part of the bargain. We can't keep the law. We break it all the time. That's all the Ten Commandments are meant to do to show us is we're breakers. We're lawbreakers. And the next question that comes out of our mouth is, so then what? So I've broken the law. Am I, is it, am I done? Am I done? I mean, how do I fix this? You can't, but I can. I can do it. I'll not only be your advocate, I'll also be the judge. And I'm going to take the penalty for you, is the idea. Um, and that's the new covenant that we're going to celebrate here. We're so grateful for it because this old covenant just didn't work for us. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, just like he said before. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So he's describing it. So if you go outside and look at the blue sky, that's what it was like. It was like really blue, but like crystal clear, like HD. You know, I mean, it's really nice, really hot. Um, But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands. So they saw God and, and they ate and drank. Now, I don't know what this is all about. I think they're just seeing Jesus here because no one's seen God and lived before, ever. So my guess is this is that angel that he was talking about, Jesus in the Old Testament, because you can see him, um, but I don't know. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, just Moses, not everybody else. Everybody else had a dinner party down there and had the blue sky thing going on. But Moses, I want you to come up here, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments, which I have written that you may teach them. I'm going to write down Ten Commandments for you on these two tablets of stone. How cool is that? And I'm going to give you this. You're going to take it down for the people. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't go well. Spoiler alert. He shows up at the bottom of the hill, and everybody who said they were going to do what God told them to do is doing the exact opposite of what God told them to do. And Moses gets mad and breaks these tablets, smashes them. And then God says, come up here. We're going to do some new tablets, but this time you're going to write them. I mean, how cool would that have been if he had, because he was never told to smash the tablets. That's just something Moses did because you broke the commandments, so he broke them. I don't know if he was getting carried away or what. God never told him to go ahead and now smash them at their feet. He did it, you know. That's like having an autographed Bible and losing it kind of thing, you know. I mean, this is a big deal. Anyway, no such thing as an autographed Bible. Okay. (laughs) If you have one, that'd be pretty cool. But I mean, so he's going to give him this. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. That's a mistake, unfortunately. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now, that's the, you get the idea. They're all down there waiting for him. They're, he's going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and they're just watching this mountain burn. And he sees Joshua and Moses kind of go up. Moses goes all the way up into the fire. You know, and this is what it describes. To, this is how they see it. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. This looks like a consuming fire. 
So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So for 40 days and 40 nights, they see Moses in this blazing inferno, but they can't see him. Over time, it's going to happen. They're going to have problems, and they're like, we don't know if this guy's coming back here or not because we see it as a consuming fire. He's evaporated as far as we know. We haven't seen sight of him for 40 days. So they make this calf, and I'm giving it away. Look, God is a consuming fire. He is. But he calls us into that fire sometimes. And that's important to understand. And it's up to us whether we're consumable or not. Moses isn't. Moses is going to come out of this shining. He's going to come out of this glowing. He's going to come out of this purified is the idea. And we asked for that as Christians, as believers. We've called a long time ago, God, make me into who you want me to be. I want to, be a, I want to reflect you. We used to wear, I used to wear a t-shirt that had a big moon on it. I want to reflect the sun. Get it? S-O-N. I was real excited about that, but I don't think I really understood what I was asking God to do. I want to reflect the sun so well. I want to reflect Jesus so well that they see him and they don't see me. Now, there's a lot of work that's got to be done to this cruddy piece of metal before the maker can see his face shining and being reflected in it. The problem is I'm full of impurities. Gold is, is nice, but much better once it's removed all of its impurities. And you don't know they're there. They're mixed up. I don't, anybody been in smel- have done smelting in, in shop class or whatever? Smelting's where we take the cans for the shop teacher because he was, I don't know, making money off of them or whatever. But he teaches a lesson and we dump the aluminum cans in there and boil it up. And get this thing glowing hot till it was liquid. This aluminum was liquid. It was all crusty and nasty on top, like, like kind of like dried lava on top of it. And you'd take it and you'd scrape off. That's called the dross, the top part. The scum, all the impurities, the paint, everything that was wrong with the aluminum through the manufacturing process rises to the top in that heat. They'd scrape it off and we'd pour it and make bars out of it like this big. Great looking aluminum, if there's such a thing as great looking aluminum. I don't know. The idea is that's what God's doing with all of us. As Christians, he puts us in the fire. He lets us heat up. It isn't fun. No one ever said it was fun. The fiery trials are fiery trials. They're difficult. But what comes out of us is stuff that we had no idea was mixed up in us. And it rises to the top, all that yuck, all that scum, all the impurities. It was keeping people from seeing his reflection in our lives. Comes to the top and he scrapes off that dross. He lets us cool, but he may throw us into the fire again. Get a little bit more. Keep going with that gold and with that silver. God uses both those metaphors throughout scriptures. Keep going till I can see my face like I'm looking in a mirror. That's pure. That's, that's, now remember, every time we do this, we, we'd have a whole bucket of aluminum when we'd start, but by the time we were done purifying it, there's about that much left. It's, it, it reduces us. It reduces us. Don't be surprised at that. If we really want to be Christians, if we want to be Christ-like, and we really want to reflect him here, we need the fire. We have to have that fire. There's no other way to get it out of us. We've got to be melted down and let that scum come to the surface. It has to be that way. And as hard as that is, boy, it's worth it. It's so worth it to have that extra carrot added to your name, basically, of gold. It's a little bit better than 14. 14's kind of tough. That's what you start off with. That's what you give your 12-year-old when she gets earrings or whenever you give her earrings over there. But that 22 carat or whatever, I guess I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but the higher up you go in the carrots, 
It's better quality, softer, but it's a better quality gold. And we want that. We want that. So that's who we close with uh, today. So he's gone for 40 days. Now we pick that up next week. Um, the next few chapters will probably do two. Now we're going to have communion. So what we were talking about. The unleavened bread. Remember that one of the feasts here was supposed to have? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were selling the, ce- celebrating the Passover meal. Uh, and so they would have unleavened bread. They'd have the lamb and all that. And Jesus, when they were celebrating with the disciples, broke that bread from that Passover meal and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, you do this in remembrance of, of me. He was telling them, foreshadowing, what I'm going to do tomorrow, this meal is now changed. Every time you eat this flat bread without any yeast in it, which represents sin, sinless bread, basically, that's me. I'm sinless. So every time you eat this, you do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup on that same night, took that cup and passed it around. It wasn't a little plastic cup like you're going to get, but it was a big cup, probably a chalice-looking thing. Um, As often as you drink this cup, this is a new covenant of my blood. Not the old covenant where if you do this, I'll do this. It's the new covenant where I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, Jesus said. I'm going to do both sides of this. I'm the judge and the justifier at the same time. I want you to drink this. And often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. My blood that shed is for you. It's for you. It's not against you. I'm for you. And when we eat and drink this, we remember what he's done for us, that I'm still going to heaven because of what he's done at the cross, not because of how good a person I am, not even for how pure I am or how much of his reflection I give off to the people around me, but basically and only because of what he's done for us at the cross. We remember that, and that's what we remember. That's why we're so grateful and thankful. Some of you had a bad week. Some of you sinned. Some of you didn't do so well. Some of you probably didn't even want to come today, but you made yourself get here. That's why we're having communion. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us to remember that it isn't based off my performance. It's on what he did at the cross, not what I do. But that being said, how great he is, how wonderful he is, boy, I want to reflect him better this week. Help me to reflect him better. And that's a great prayer to combine with this. I know I'm going to heaven because of you, but I also know I'm going to get better because of you. So help me, Lord. All right, so as you're, they're finishing passing this around, um, we'll just spend some time quietly. Or You guys playing something or afterwards? Okay. So we'll just have some quiet time here while the guys are finishing passing around. You know, later on, Paul said in that same section of Scripture when he described what the bread and the juice meant, he says, I don't want you to eat or drink in an unworthy manner because you eat and drink judgment to yourself. He was concerned for them, people that understood what these things meant, that the bread represented the broken body of Jesus and that the blood represented his shed blood um, or the juice did. And uh, he says, if you know that and you don't want Jesus, just set it down. Don't, don't eat it. Don't drink it because many sick and die because of that. You're eating and drinking judgment to yourself. I know what you mean, Jesus, and I don't care. I don't believe it. That's a dangerous thing to do. Um, and so even now is a good time to set it at your feet and don't eat it if you don't, if you don't know Jesus or you don't want to. On the other hand, if you do know Jesus and you, and you want to know Jesus, this is a great time to do it. You know, you can pray with me even now. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know that the whole I'm going to be obedient to you and you're going to owe me heaven didn't work out. That old covenant didn't work because I broke the law. I sinned. And now I need to pay for my sins. And I can't because the wages of sin is death. And I can't do that. I can't get beyond that. 
But then you said you sent your son Jesus to die for me in my place at the cross and my sins, all of them that I've ever committed and ever will commit were nailed to that cross with him. He became sin for me. I want to thank you for that because you made a way where there was no way. You did for me what I could not do for myself. I could not reach heaven, but you could reach me. And I thank you for that, God. So thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins in place of me. And I just love you. Lord, also, since you gave your life for me, I want to respond by giving my life back to you. It's yours. I want to be your servant. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be obedient to you. So God, help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can be guided. What is the right thing and what is the wrong thing? Help me to read your word and understand it and hide it in my heart heart so that I know what the right thing is to do, what the right thing to say is, God, at those moments when I don't know. That you would speak to me, that you would show me, that I would be obedient. That I bring life to those around me. I bring light to those around me, God. That's what I want to be. I want to represent you. I want to be your ambassador here on earth. So God, help. I don't know how to do that. So take away everything that's not of you. If it takes a fiery trial, fine, so be it, God. Take me through that fiery trial. Remove all the impurities out of my life and replace it and replace them with you. I want them to see you. I want the world to see you in me. Lord, thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.